0: Hi there, and welcome to the Health Advocate podcast. My name is Krista Partel, and I'm the Advocacy Director here at the AWHA. Today I'm sitting down with AWHA's Strategic Program Director, Dr. Chris Burke, to discuss all things Reconciliation Week. Chris is Australia's first Indigenous dentist, a previous member of the ACT Legislative Assembly, and is co-chair of ACT's Reconciliation Council. So Chris, this year's theme for Reconciliation Week is Grounded in Truth, Walk Together with Courage."
1: What exactly do you think this means? Clearly this theme, Krista, is about understanding the history of our country being grounded in truth. This links into the truth-telling that came out of the Uluru Statement back in 2017 and harks back to the many petitions and requests from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around Australia for the whole community to understand what actually happened in Australia over the last 200 years since 1788.
0: Now in 2014 you wrote a paper on the four steps to
1: reconciliation. Can you tell us a bit about this? Uh, thank you Krista. Reconciliation supported by a lot of people in theory. Practical applications have mostly been around reconciliation action plans that talk about jobs, social determinants, often about closing the gap in indigenous disadvantage. Grounded in truth, walking together through courage Asks for a lot more, and as I said before, that those words that came from Uluru about truth, voice, and treaty really require us to think about a bigger picture of what reconciliation is about. I propose really four steps, and the first one is about acknowledgement, about Australians understanding what happened in this country and what that has done to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Then to think about as we walk together encourage to look at how we can undertake that next step of apology. Now, we know that there was a long campaign for a Commonwealth apology after the 2017 Bringing Them Home report. It recommended all Australian parliaments apologise. The states and territories very quickly got on with it, but the Commonwealth didn't. And then we had that cathartic moment in 2008 when Prime Minister Rudd Apologized to the stolen generations. But this apology was particularly focused on that group. It didn't deal with the other issues of dispossession, invasion, racism, all that has occurred over the last 200 years. And then we need to think about atonement. What is it that we can actually do as a country to ameliorate? these things that have been done to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And as I said before, there's been a history of petitions going back over 100 years calling for recognition, treaty and a share in the power of how this country is run. The 2017 Uluru Statement repeated that calling for truth-telling, treaties and a voice protected by the Constitution had got widespread Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community approval. And finally, the final part would be around forgiveness where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people say We forgive you. We look at what has happened and we say, this is forgiveness. But that forgiveness cannot be given lightly or without preparation, otherwise it's meaningless. I always say that reconciliation is a task of nation-building, and it will be the work of this century to get it done. It's not something that's going to happen quickly or overnight or on the next ACT Reconciliation Day public holiday. Mm. It's
0: interesting, the four points that you point to, acknowledgement, courage, atonement, and forgiveness, because these are the same steps that you would have seen in other reconciliation paths in South Africa, for instance, or Canada, or even to somewhat in New Zealand. So it's it's not unique, but obviously, there's an Australian flavor to this. And you'd see by following these steps, you actually bring a sense of greater harmony and civic pride in the country. Would you agree? And where do you think if these steps were followed in Australia, where do you think we would go as a nation?
1: Absolutely, I agree there, Krista. The importance of understanding how we've decided to do reconciliation in Australia and why it's different from the rest of the world, why it's just different to what the Norwegians are doing with the Sami people, what's happened in Canada, South America, the rest of the world. In Australia, our reconciliation has focused on citizenship rights and statistical equality. Those things are important. They're worthy, but they're not about the guts of the matter, which is about truth and justice, telling the story and coming together afterwards. That's what has been missing from our work around reconciliation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, um, granting the basic sort of rights of citizenship isn't really reconciliation, that's just giving a fair go to everybody in this country, but true reconciliation involves a lot more heavy lifting. So it will be a process. Now switching tracks, in AWHA's February issue of the Health Advocate magazine, which annually we theme on how the health system is working towards closing the gap in health status between our first peoples and the general population, there was an article called Co-Designing Learning Approaches to Healthcare, which was a training seminar that you were involved in. Could you tell us a bit about the seminar and what it entailed?
1: Yeah, I'll frame that first by saying that this is actually a good example of what we were talking about earlier about why programs that don't attend to that truth and power sharing and justice approach are really not about reconciliation. This was an important piece of work about enabling AMSs and art shows in North Queensland to use lean healthcare training tools to deliver better outcomes for patients of those services. But this is not about reconciliation. This is work which ought to be done whether there's a reconciliation or not. Tackling disadvantage, tackling poorer outcomes, tackling the social determinants of health is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is work that needs to be done regardless of the health or or wealth or status of Aboriginal people in Australian society. It's about what needs to be done to make right what has happened in the past as best we can. So then, if this is something
0: that the health sector should do, regardless of reconciliation or not. What do you think the health sector, if they wanted to focus on reconciliation, could do health services across the country? It could be you know, a large health and hospital service or a, a hospital district, or it could be a community health service provider. Doesn't matter how big or small. What kind of steps could they do as an organization for reconciliation?
1: Well, there's some great steps that health organizations around the country have already done. For instance, so many organizations spoke up when the Uluru Statement was released, saying, yes, this is what we want, this is what we should do, and that is the right thing for our country. When we talk about truth-telling, there's always that powerful story that comes out of Bairnsdale Hospital that back in the 1960s and 70s Aboriginal people had to come into the hospital via the back door instead of the front door. Bairnsdale Hospital, instead of hiding that has put up a plaque in the foyer to tell people this is what happened. They have acknowledged their past, they have apologised for it, and they are telling people as a lesson to what happened in this country of what they have done about it. Now that is a powerful piece of reconciliation that could be used by health organisations everywhere.
0: And I think it's great that service providers, health organizations, are able to start out and walk the reconciliation journey. But I guess at the end of the day, if we really want reconciliation in Australia, we need government buy-in and government support and government to be co-stewards of the journey along with Australians and our first peoples. So what do you think the government can do, the Commonwealth government could do moving forward to help us all go on this path together?
1: I think it was very sad that our previous Prime Minister, Prime Minister Turnbull, when offered the gift from Uluru of people's request for voice, for treaty, for truth-telling, didn't take it up and make something of it on the Commonwealth stage. This was a profound and incredibly strong moment in our relationship between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the rest of the country and the Prime Minister fluffed it. There's an opportunity for the government now to revisit that and a look at what it means. And let's just remember that call for a voice was for a very modest, a very modest piece of power sharing for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It wasn't, like has happened in so many other countries in the world, a call for Indigenous people to have a seat in Parliament, as happens in many states in India, in Taiwan, and uh, in New Zealand, and uh, in many countries in South America. These were simple, straightforward requests which the government really needs to engage with if it wants to get serious about reconciliation in Australia.
0: Well, I think it's hopeful that the Council of Australian Governments has decided that they're going to work in partnership with a coalition of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health leaders. Um, on closing the gap and hopefully an incoming government will lift up the baton of reconciliation and make something of it so maybe that's our wish for reconciliation week and uh, how we could all move forward in action.
1: Power sharing is really important and goes to that issue of disempowerment in this country of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from the instruments of power in government, administration and institutions. Aboriginal people are powerful. We have uh, our culture, our family, and for those lucky enough to hang on to it language, but we're still systematically excluded from those other instruments, those non-indigenous instruments of wh- the way the country is run. Coag's recognition of that and engagement with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is a good example of what can be done. Mm-hmm.
0: So then, ending on a positive note, Chris, what can people do in their local community to partake in Reconciliation Week?
1: Well, the obvious thing that people can do is to start engaging with the political system and asking their local representative what's happening about the Uluru Statement. It doesn't matter which strife politician they've got, but start asking the question because politicians listen. And if you ask over and over and over again with more and more people, the penny will drop that this is something they need to pay attention to.
0: Well, thanks for that, Chris, and hopefully all of our listeners will go out and contact their local MP or um, their senators and ask what's going on with the Uluru Statement. So you've been listening to another AWHA Health Advocate podcast. To check out our website, visit www.awha.asn.au. We also have a advocacy handbook on our website if you do want to contact your local member or senator to help prep you for that conversation. You can also find us on Twitter by searching at OzHealthcare, with Oz being A-U-S. The trending hashtag for Reconciliation Week is hashtag NRW2019. And you'll find us tweeting actively every day throughout the week and also every other day moving forward. Thank you very much.